Even the very name can strike fear into the hearts of some readers. It seems intimidating, complicated, maybe even a little bit harsh. Let's change that. Welcome to this class on the Old Testament, presented by Dialogue, a journal of Mormon thought. I'm Taylor Petrie, editor of Dialogue. I'm also an associate professor of religion trained in biblical studies. With this course, I want to provide a basic introduction to the study of what Christians call the Old Testament, primarily for a Latter-day Saint audience. However, this isn't a Sunday school class. Instead, I want to offer an overview of what I consider to be one of the most exciting books in world literature, but one that's often seen as boring or complicated. I've found that even just a little bit of information that demystifies this book can make it feel accessible. Join me as we explore a book of scripture that has been revered as the word of God for Christians and Jews for thousands of years, inspired people to do good and evil, and even shaped world history. When studying this book, there are an endless variety of approaches that one might take. I'm going to be looking at four major approaches as we consider the contents of the Old Testament. The first is history. The history in the text, the history that produced the text, and the history that the text is about. The second is genre. Sometimes we don't need to spend a lot on this question, but it is helpful to consider the variety of kinds of literature that one discovers in the Old Testament and understand its meaning and significance. The third is we'll look at themes. What is this text about? What message is it trying to come across for its readers? And the last one is interpretation. That is, we'll consider how this text has been interpreted by Christians and Jews and Latter-day Saints over time. This course has 10 classes. The first one, which you're watching now, is an introduction to the course. The second is Primeval History, Genesis chapters 1 to 11. The third course covers the Patriarchs, Genesis 12 to 50. The fourth course, Exodus and the Law, from Exodus to Deuteronomy. The fifth, Conquest and Judges, from Joshua to 1 Samuel 7. The sixth, Monarchy and the Temple, from 1 Samuel 8 to the end of 2 Kings. The seventh gets at the prophets, Amos, Hosea, Isaiah, 1 to 39, and Jeremiah. The eighth looks at exile and return, where we continue with the prophets from Ezekiel, Isaiah 40 to 66, Joel, Ezra, Nehemiah, and others. The ninth, wisdom and its discontents where we discuss Proverbs, Job, and Ecclesiastes. And the 10th, Apocalypse and Messiahs, Daniel, Zechariah, Malachi, and others. Now, you may already be feeling a little overwhelmed. Some of those terms or some of those books might not be familiar to you at all. But I want to demystify it a little bit with just a brief history of ancient Israel. This history gives us an overview of the kinds of periods that we're going to be looking at. And a quick orientation to this will help us as we situate these books in different historical contexts. 
There are major events discussed in biblical texts, but both the historical details and even the historicity of these events is often in question. Archaeology has been the main source of challenge to the narrative. Earlier generations of scholars saw the Bible confirmed in archaeology, but the pendulum has really swung in the other direction. What's at stake in the historicity of these issues? Well, Christian and Jewish fundamentalist approaches insist on the absolute accuracy of the text for interpretive reasons. If they can't be trusted in one respect, it can't be trusted in any. But the issue is obviously much more complicated and runs into a lot of other uh, issues sometimes that we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about as we get into it. But first, let's just understand this overall history that the Bible itself presents. The first, as we've already mentioned, is Genesis 1-11, to the creation narrative and the primeval history or the primordial history that's recounted there. Uh, we're, gonna, we're going to spend a lot of time talking about this in the next lesson, so I won't belabor it too much now. The patriarchal period covers Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob up until the captivity or the transition, the move to Egypt. Exodus begins with the story of, uh, of the Jews in Egypt, or the Israelites, rather, in Egypt. Um, and the traditional dates of this, uh, of the event of the Exodus itself, that is, as the Israelites leave Egypt, is around 1280 BCE. Again, we'll talk more about the history of that event as we get into it, but just to give us some orientation to these dates and events. The conquest and judges period runs from about 1250 to 1000 BCE, again the traditional dates there. The monarchy beginning with Saul, David, and his son Solomon runs from 1000 to 922 BCE. After uh, Solomon's death, the kingdom is divided into a northern and southern kingdom from 922 to 722 BCE. The Assyrian conquest of the northern kingdom in 721 ends the existence of the northern kingdom as an independent political entity. The Babylonian, the Babylonian conquest of the southern kingdom in 589 BCE uh, ends the southern kingdom as an independent political entity. That moves us into the period of exile when many of the leading citizens of, uh, of ancient Jerusalem are taken to uh, Babylon in exile. But, miraculous thing happens, I guess, uh, depending on your perspective here. Uh, uh, Cyrus the Great, the Persian leader, conquers the Babylonian Empire, and the uh, uh, exiled Judeans ask to be able to return to their homeland and rebuild the temple, and they do. So uh, the exile happens in 597, the first one happens in 597, and then uh, often traditionally concludes in 538 BCE. The Persian period, started under uh, Cyrus the Great, as we've mentioned, runs from 539 when he conquers the Babylonian Empire up until 334 BCE. After that, Alexander the Great takes over this territory and his, uh, his uh, diadochi or his, his uh, followers uh, uh, take over different parts of the kingdom. This is known as the Hellenistic period from 334 to 63 BCE. 
this really is the end of the uh, biblical literature as we come to know it. Uh, Daniel is written during this time, and a few other pieces of other texts are written during the Hellenistic period. Uh, but we'll just kind of get this broad overview then of these different eras as we are looking at the literature and situating it in these different time periods. Okay, so that's the basic overall historical narrative. What kinds of books do we actually see in the Old Testament? Well, the first division, there are four different divisions in the Christian version of this. Latter-day Saints use the Christian version. The first one is called the Pentateuch, means the five scrolls. Uh, Jews, of course, call this the Torah, uh, but Christians tend to call it the Pentateuch. This is Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Christians also have another division called the historical books. This runs from Joshua and Judges up through 2 Kings. 1 and 2 Samuel, 1 and 2 Kings, all of those fit into the historical books. The next division is called the poetical and wisdom books. This includes things like uh, Proverbs, Psalms, Ecclesiastes, Job, and so on. And then the final division is called the prophets. Many of the prophets, of course, are well-known. Uh, Isaiah, Ezekiel, Jeremiah. Some of these are then also the minor prophets or the shorter texts. Uh, sometimes they're less well-known and people feel less familiar with their contents. So Christians have this fourfold division then of grouping these texts in some sense by genre. And so, again, it's important for us to understand a little bit not only the contents of the book, but where it fits into the overall structure of the text itself. The Old Testament is not designed to be read from page one until the end. It's actually subgrouped into different kind of smaller libraries or collections of books that don't necessarily follow a chronological order from the beginning to the end, as we might expect, especially from the narrative of Genesis. So, again, it helps us to orient ourselves a little bit in what kind of book we're reading and how that fits into the overall narrative of the Hebrew Bible or the Old Testament. Finally, I want to say something about translations. The translation that I'll be using for the purposes of this course is the New Oxford Annotated Bible, New Revised Standard Version. Latter-day Saints accept the King James Version as the canonical version, the one which is accepted by the church and tends to be used in church settings. The King James Version was translated first in 1611, uh, which was over 400 years ago. There have been a number of changes, of course, in English language and syntax, as well as a better understanding of the translation of the text itself and new manuscripts, which modern translations make use of. So the King James Version in scholarly context and in teaching context is generally not used and in fact is even falling out of favor in many North American Christian communities. The NRSV or the New Revised Standard Version, the one that I'm using, uh, is the process, the product of really uh, almost the last century or so of, uh, of scholarship, of translation, and tends to be used often in academic contexts as well as mainline and liberal Protestant communities. The New International Version, another very popular one, is a slightly more conservative translation, uh, tends to follow evangelical uh, uh, teachings, uh, and is translated often by evangelical scholars. Uh, so again, wonderful to consult and to make use of, but just to be aware of uh, some of the, the ideological perspectives that might inform 
that text. Catholics, of course, can't be left out. The New Jerusalem Bible is uh, the, the official Catholic translation. And the Jewish Study Bible, which I also use in my courses, is a, another great resource uh, for those of you who want to take a look at uh, a really, uh, in, in some ways, a very different kind of translation, much closer to the NRSV, but uh, also has a lot of commentary and notes for Jewish readers of the text. And I uh, often assign this one in, to my students. There are dozens of other translations. Uh, some people have preferences for one over the other, depending on sometimes just a single verse, how that sounds, uh, sometimes the language, how close it follows to the King James Version and others are the kinds of things that people might use to, uh, uh, to make their preferences. But again, the dominant version that's used in scholarly context is the NRSV. I'll be using that here, but feel free to consult not only that, but many others in your own study. Enjoy. Enjoy.